Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition, I'm joined with Sarah Bodley, who is the Executive Director of Reset in Hartford. Hello to you. Good morning. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Can have a little chat about Reset and your work here, and hopefully you can enlighten me a little bit about the work that you've been doing here. So to kick things off, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get to this point in your career? Yeah, I have a sort of an unusual path. I get that question a lot, and um, people are often pretty surprised to hear that I was a dancer originally. Wow. Um, it's not the most typical way to get into the business world, but um, yeah, I did an undergrad in uh, dance at SUNY Purchase, and for about 10 years I was living in New York and um, doing a lot of pickup work with different uh, independent dance makers and all kinds of, of amazing work and artists. and. Um, I will say there, there's a really entrepreneurial spirit that happens in that space. Um, being a starving artist, you have to kind of learn how to hustle in a lot of ways. So uh, I probably didn't realize that at the time, but I think that's something that now I kind of can reflect back on a little bit differently. Um, but as starving artists do, I got a, a day job uh, working actually with a dance company that was very well established, Doug Verone and Dancers. So I, I got a lot of experience just working in his office and helping run the company. By the eighth year that I was there, I was uh, eventually promoted to executive director. And I had some really amazing mentors along the way, one of whom started really encouraging me to explore further education options. You know, everything I had learned up to that point was on the job. Um, I remember learning how to use pivot tables for the first time in Excel and just like, nerding out over that so deep joy <laughs> right deep joy. Um, I mean you, you learn a lot about yourself and you do. how much you enjoy <laughs> pivot tables but um, but ultimately thanks to you know a few great voices in my life I, I started exploring MBA programs and kind of by chance found out about the Bard MBA in sustainability um, in the Hudson Valley and initially I'll be honest I was looking for a beautiful place to go and leave New York City because I was kind of done with that at the time but um, I found Bard and I just really uh, fell in love with the program the minute I discovered it and then of course it's all based in New York City so I stayed there for a couple of years to do that program and I'm I'm so grateful that I did because I think um, to be honest when I started I thought I was going more in an environmental pathway. I was really interested in learning more about how I could do work that's impactful in the environmental space. Um, I, I quickly started realizing just how big sustainability is and what that word even encompasses. I got to Bard and, and started to really understand the breadth of what sustainability encompasses. And in that program was introduced to more of this sort of inclusive economic development thinking. I had a political economy class there that was really eye-opening. We just were talking constantly about these systemic issues of the world and how business can play a part in solving them. Um, not the only part, but yeah. you know, an important part. And that really prompted me to start exploring this space. And when I got out of school, I started looking for work more in that world and that took me to DC for a few years. Um, I, I started there in a company called Empowered Women International wow. working with um, mostly it was all women as the name implies. <laughs> really? um, we, we empowered women but um, but no it was uh, it was a really great experience. We worked primarily with lower income immigrant and refugee women helping them start micro businesses. Um, 
Oftentimes, you know, you're starting over in a new country, you may have a doctoral degree that doesn't allow you to transition. So, it, you know, it's, it's a really tough thing. And so we were just trying to do what we could to enable these women to find other options and that new pathways. That must have been massively rewarding. It was, it was really incredible. And I met, I mean, the women in particular, I think the community there was, was for me one of the biggest benefits of being there. You know, the work itself was great. I was in operations, so it was very, you know, day to day running a nonprofit. It's hard, but the women and the networks there were just so incredibly supportive and passionate. And um, I, I, I can't say enough about how great that was. But I think for me, what was missing was still this deeper connection to the the impact piece of, you know, there's a there's a real direct, you know, on each individual woman that we worked with, there was a really clear value add for them in most cases. But more often than not, they were starting really small businesses and I really kind of wanted to explore something that that had a, a broader impact and being able to help companies that are scaling at a different level and able to really incorporate that thinking from day one into their business. I can add that, so I started with EWI, but then we actually went through a merger with the Latino Economic Development Center while I was there and that was just awesome too because LEDC does a lot of micro lending and so that kind of opened another avenue of, of possibilities for me. But when I saw the opening at Reset, <laughs> I kind of jumped at the opportunity because I grew up in Connecticut and uh, my mom still lives in Torrington and you know it was um, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I might want to come back someday and actually a high school friend of mine Evan Dobis did the Reset Impact Accelerator program I want to say back in 2015 and so he had invited me to an event here actually the opening of this space in Parkville he invited me to come check it out because he was like I think you'd really be into this just just see what it's all about and I was hooked but at the time you know there was it was a totally different uh, time and and no openings it was like lots of activity going on but um, but I started following everything online and just kind of trying to keep tabs so you were stalking them I was basically stalking <laughs> them uh, <laughs> but it was just so exciting to see that this is happening in Connecticut it was yeah. really and still is pretty unusual actually to see you know a, a complete organization just focused on building social enterprises so yeah I jumped at the chance to explore and luckily they they liked me and and invited me to come take this position um, so now since December 2018 I've been um, here and really just getting the lay of the land for the first six months or so it was like a massive listening tour and um, while really trying to keep ramping up all the activities and I was able to bring on a few new employees that are wonderful and you know we're really we've got a lot going on and it's it's very exciting it's um, again it still feels like there's so much excitement in Connecticut there's a lot of energy around entrepreneurship and innovation but we're still unique in that focus on impact and the space you've got here mm -hmm. I mean this is my first visit to Reset mm -hmm. the space you have is incredible isn't it it's just yeah. so much potential here in different areas and already so established sort of in, in other areas it's fantastic building yeah thanks it's it's fun it's been uh, a wild ride I think of <laughs> being here but um but yeah Parkville has there's just a lot of opportunity in Hartford in general, but um, great transport yeah, links great as well. Transport, transport I know, links. I've got to be honest. Obviously, I'm as a get Brit, some coffee while we're doing that. This yeah. um, this train noise is fantastic. It's, it's a real. <laughs> so uh, you may hear that periodically throughout this. <laughs> it's my throwback to New York too. Absolutely, <laughs> make you feel at home. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to dance at any time, <laughs> you know, crack on. Uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about what do you wish you had perhaps known before you set out on that career path, which has had loads of sort of mm -hmm. twists and turns, what do you wish that you had known before you started out? 
Well, I think something that I, that actually that we talk about a lot still at Reset and we we talk to our entrepreneurs about is just the power of trying and failing and being willing to kind of go out on a limb sometimes to test the waters and learn a little bit more about what you're good at or what you're not good at. And, you know, I think in dance, there's a real, there's a practice that's embedded and you kind of, you know that you're going to be terrible at it until you get better and you just kind of always have to keep practicing. So, but you know, it's, it's very different in the business world. Well, at least for me, it was kind of, I didn't, I didn't translate that right away. And I think I, you know, I got so used to being comfortable in the dance world and then starting over a little bit later in my career, I think it took me a minute to start feeling a little bit more comfortable with like, I just have to speak my truth and, you know, uh, follow your own path. Yeah, exactly. I guess the other part that comes to mind is just, again, the power of networks and people and, and asking for help and for partnership. I feel great about that now, but you know, I think starting out, it took a, it took some time to start to realize like that's important. Daunting Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. It can be daunting. It can be just, you know, you, you don't, yeah, you got to get to know people. Tell me about a couple of your perhaps biggest success stories here at Reset. Tell me about ones that have just kind of just the first ones that pop into your head that really stuck with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, first comes to mind is our the startups that we work with because they're really proof of the success here. Um, and I can't claim, you know, having been here only now for one cycle, I certainly ha- I have such deep love for our first cohort that since I was here. Some of them, actually, there was a group just here last night, Raise Green, which did our accelerator last year, and they're they have this incredible equity crowdfunding platform that they've developed in order to support community solar projects, and it's. A really, it's a unique model. They're basically trying to make it as easy as possible for communities to install solar and to have ownership over that project. So, you know, more often than not, it's like very wealthy people who are paying for these projects and, you know, fine, the projects need to exist, but the fact that they're making it possible for communities to actually collectively buy in and, and they've made it a much lower barrier to entry, it's like, for some of their projects, it's as low as $50 to own a share of this project. And then over 30 years, you're getting a, a dividend and you're getting paid back over time. Um, so not only are they looking at climate change, but they're thinking about community wealth building and asset building. You know, the fact that we get to work with people like that and help them to make a few more connections for that will support their business. You know, I know that they met um, one of their continued mentors uh, we got connected through this program and I'm, I'm proud that we were able to you know help them Connect. with that connection and and you know trying to give those opportunities for them to come back and spread the message so last night they were you know they had a great crowd here kind of learning about how to do this in your own community I mean some of the graduates that came through in the earlier years now are, are really have have taken off so Adam Lazar founded Asarasi sparkling water which is um, Again, very clear environmental impact because it's not your average sparkling water. He actually produces this from maple syrup um, water that's otherwise wasted in the maple syrup production wow. process. Yeah, and he, you know, he came up with this idea. I think on a tour of a maple syrup facility with one of his kids, like Amazing. way back when, and and just saw this and was kind of like, wait a minute, that's such a waste. Is there anything else that could be done with this? And now, you know, he's um, he's got global distribution. I mean, he's still looking for more and he's still growing his team and everything. But, um, you know, the fact that his water is now making its way around the world to like Dubai and, and you wow. know, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, and again, that the, the 
that from day one, he came at that from the perspective of this is an environmental waste problem that I can solve with a business. And that business is making money as it should and it needs to. And perfect. That's exactly what we're preaching. Um, Another, actually, another recent grad um, from the 2018 program is a company called Blue Earth Compost. It's kind of similar way. They, They saw that there was nobody doing composting locally in Hartford and started out of a garage, just kind of started knocking on neighbors' doors to see if there was interest in, um, in, paying for a service to pick up their food waste. And now a couple years in, they've, or I think they're about five years into their business, but they have a new warehouse space in the north end of Hartford. They've been able to hire a team and, and they really make it possible for uh, for folks with often barriers to employment, like former incarcerated individuals to find work and get trained and, you know, take this on. Brilliant. On top of the environmental impact. I mean, it's, those are the kinds of stories that we, we hear all the time. So thinking about the culture of the organization, would you say that Reset has a stated higher purpose? Yeah, so we actually, I think since day one, um, our mission has been, uh, and our stated mission is to advance the social enterprise sector. The organization really started because our founder, Kate Emery, was also CEO of the Walker Group, which is an IT company. Um, And she wanted to figure out how to make the Walker Group a social enterprise and there were really no resources, at least locally and, and even you know, throughout the, the country at the time. I think it was still relatively new and not as easy to find just sort of, what here's how you do that? it. This was around 2007. This whole effort began partly out of that you know, personal desire for her, but really a greater community effort pretty quickly came about where early days at Reset, they used to do a series, I shouldn't say used to do because we actually brought it back last year so <laughs> so and uh one of the early efforts though that helped kind of catapult this was a beyond business as usual conference where she basically you know the community came out it was business owners it was corporate partners etc and really just started grappling with this question of like what does it mean to be a social enterprise how do we do it what support should exist and um that happened for the first few years of the organization's evolution and really helped to inform, um, I think, what came next and, you know, evolved into some of the programs that we now still have, the Impact Accelerator being one. There was an Impact Challenge for a few years. It was kind of more of a a big, you know, big award, sort of pick a problem and let's see what kind of solutions people can come up with. Yeah, so that's sort of still very much part of our purpose is that that focus on, like, how do we do business better? Since I joined, we actually also, um, we just went through a refreshed strategic planning process, which was really helpful for me as a, as a new incoming leader here to kind of really wrangle all these, you know, there's, it's a, we have a three person team, but we also have 12 people on the board and lots and lots of stakeholders. Our alumni network is over a hundred now companies and, you know, a few hundred every year that come through our program. So we really tried to get as many voices as we could in the um, strategic planning process. And we really came out, I think, with a reaffirmation of that focus on social enterprise, but also recognizing that we're here in Hartford and things have changed in Hartford since we, since the organization started. And one of the big things is that there are now three other accelerator programs right here in the city, which is fantastic. They're each focused on an industry vertical, whereas we are still industry agnostic. And so it's given us a great opportunity to kind of refocus also on local businesses and and local entrepreneurs. Um, So this year, our cohort is all Connecticut based, which hasn't always been possible. So 
you know, it's exciting because, again, these other programs are often they're recruiting from around the world, which it's important also to do that. But I think we're, we're really trying to make space for, for local problem solvers. And I, I, we actually, in, in going through that, we have a sort of a refreshed vision statement. I don't know. It's not even a public thing yet, so edit this part out. But um, <laughs> but I will say, you know, I think we talk a lot in the city about vibrancy and about wanting to attract people to move here and to stay here. Um, so we're really thinking about what vibrancy means to me and to us as an organization is that there are businesses that are committed to social and, and environmental um economic, you know, socioeconomic impacts and, and really making this a better place for everyone. The population of the city is also enfranchised to find solutions and to address these big problems that we have and that that becomes sort of a, a multifaceted effort and one that I think we all as a, as a community are on board with. And it's been exciting. I mean, there's a lot going on in Hartford too with Hartford 400 in I think 16 years is the 400th anniversary, but there's a lot of conversations already happening about what do we want the future to be. So I'm excited to you know play our part in in helping business really be a vibrant part of that. That's fantastic. Now you mentioned it briefly in that question there, but which stakeholder do you feel is the most important for your company? Mm. It's a tough one. I this <laughs> might be a cop out, but I think I I feel like community immediately comes to mind. And, I, and that's very broad, I recognize that, but I think part of our challenge here is that we, I don't personally even understand what every single problem is on a personal level. I, you know, I'm coming from a privileged perspective in a lot of ways, but so my role is really to enable people who have a better idea of what the problems are and how to solve them um, by, you know, providing more tools and access and, and May helping make connections. So, I say community partly because I think um, it's it's part of our job to make room to invite the the community in. Whether that's talking about like neighbors here in Hartford or here in Parkville, um, we do certain you know community forums and things that are open and tended to give opportunities for for some feedback. Admittedly, I think we can do better to make those more open and inclusive. But it's certainly something that we talk a lot about and think a lot about and try to make, uh, you know, to invite the world in. But then too, the community of our entrepreneurs who obviously are in, in some cases, they are experiencing firsthand some of the problems that they're solving. And if they're not experiencing them firsthand, we're really making sure that they're in touch with the people who are. And that's a big part of our program. So, but yeah, I think it just comes down to the people who are being affected the most by the problems that we're trying to solve with these businesses. Absolutely. If you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change in your organization, what would it be and why? Hmm. So I think it's less about a cultural change and more about a capacity change, honestly, because where we're at right now, I think our team has a, a shared understanding of the goals that we have set out. We have a lot of great opportunities and a lot of work to do. We rely really heavily on our volunteer network also to come mm -hmm. in and, you know, fill the gaps that we don't have the capacity to fill. You know, at the end of the day, I think it's building that culture in and, and maintaining it as we grow and as we expand and as we add new partners that feels like it's not really a change though. It's so much as it is, I think, a continued commitment yes. to the things that are working <laughs> really well. And it's a nice swerve there. You've done well. You've done <laughs> really you. well. That's Have you thought about politics? I was going to say that's the politician in me. 
I'm not a politician. Not even close. Future. Please never. Future politician. <laughs> nope. I'm <laughs> Sarah 46. Um, <laughs> okay, on a bit of a different tact. Mm. So if a company is wanting to make a shift towards being a little more conscious, uh, what would be your advice to mm. them? So actually, we just, uh, last week, we did a workshop here on measuring impact in your startup. And I think it's always a really telling program because there's always going to be people that want to jump right to how do you measure it? What's the, what are the metrics? What are the systems? There are going to be people that have questions right away about the legality and, you know, how do you write your bylaws to incorporate culture and values? But really, I think the most important parts of that conversation at, at the outset are more about what does matter to you and what impact is your business already making so if you're already up and running you know it's it's a little harder i would say to change something once you're pretty well established and entrenched but it's certainly not impossible Mm -hmm. and i think really it's the kind of thing that first of all you do need it can't just come from one person so i think making space for those open conversations about what matters to you as a company as an organization and making sure that there's enough alignment to what you're doing and there's so many different ways to kind of incorporate impact and and values and and consciousness into um into a business Uh, you know in in our work we talk about some pretty like typical models for social enterprise one being the giving back model you know just just straight up if you're making a profit, how are you distributing the profit? Is it going back to community projects? Are you making donations? Or is it an employee ownership model? Um, that's pretty straightforward because, you know, ideally you're picking causes that matter to you as an organization. Um, but that's very different than, say, a like a give one, get one kind of thing where you're, you know, Warby Parker, as an example, giving a pair of glasses for every pair that's sold or Tom's shoes, you know, these these massive companies that have great shoes by built the way that great in. shoes great summer's coming Sarah summer's there coming you go. <laughs> but um, but I think ultimately wh- whatever direction you choose it has to make sense for you know for the the company it has to make sense for the people involved because um, it's hard to make those kinds of choices and you do have to make sure that the business case is also there to support it but if it doesn't start from that place of passion then like it's gonna fall off right yeah, away there's just allowed straight yeah, away yeah. exactly Absolutely. so sarah tell me when you're not focused on your work when you're not focused on your work you look quite shocked that there's even <laughs> something other than work uh, what do you do to relax oh boy well, we got kittens this year, so no they've way. been really fun. Yeah, how many? <laughs> Two sisters. Wow, they're a nightmare and a joy all at the same time. <laughs> Your life is over. <laughs> oh man, no, but I yeah, I mean, I try to be outside as much as I can. It's been one of the wonderful things being back in Connecticut. Um, it's so easy to find places to go hike and be outdoors. Beautiful state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a lot. You know, nothing too exciting. I feel a little. <laughs> 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 But yeah. Do you watch television? You into TVs, films, I movies? I do watch some television. Netflix? Yes, a bit. Come on, spill uh, the beans. Oh, brother. Well, actually, so I just, my partner has not seen The Jinx yet. So we started, I've seen it, but I was like, I am have this occasional true crime obsession. And so that's been a fun one to It happens to, to the best of us. I it know. happens to the best of us. <laughs> if that's your only guilty pleasure, you're not doing too bad. Any other programs that really sort of grab you? There's quite actually, a few good documentaries, particularly on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that sort of touch on a number of 
of these really important life-changing topics. You know, I admit, I, I do watch those on occasion, but my guilty pleasures are, you know. Come on, hit me. Things like, well, The Great British Baking Show is oh one of them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the Great British Bake Off, there uh, it is. Yeah, it's not, not bad. Uh, <laughs> the joy of a Victoria sponge. Right, It's <laughs> a good bake there. What has been your greatest personal fear? Uh, what's the, the greatest personal fear that you've kind of faced in your life? That's a huge question. No, it's not. Come on. <laughs> Near-death experiences. I Come did on. one time. So one of my first jobs ever was a... That can't be a near-death experience. No, I'm, you're really? you're going to be surprised. Okay. Well, it wasn't really exactly. Greatest fear. But no, well, and I'll, I'll get back around to a point, but I think, yeah, there was this experience when I was probably like 15 my first job ever was with a concession stand that we did like all the fairs and stuff in what the did state. you sell oh blooming onions among other things what's a blooming an onion onion blo blossom so you like chop an onion in a certain way that it sort of unfolds in the shape of a flower and then you dip it in batter and then you hot fry it and it's delicious hang on hang on <laughs> hang on uh-huh a fried onion a fried battered onion Mm-hmm. That's with like a horseradish sauce situation. You're in the not normal. It was like that's, the that's, secret recipe. That's of the disgusting. Sauce. I know. Not candy no, sauce or popcorn. Not great. Or... And you would smell like onions for like because you'd be. I once had to chop onions for about eight hours in a row just to. I don't get it. Yeah, no, me neither. Americans, right? <laughs> what is that? What's that called? A blooming onion. Blooming onion or onion blossom depends on the the branding. And parents would buy this for their children. Well, that's called child abuse where I come from. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, you're too funny. That's, uh, a, that's a new one for me as, a, as an immigrant. I'll, um, I'm going to look that one up. Keep an eye out. You know, yeah, if so, you go to a fair, you'll, I guarantee you'll see. I mean, I'm quite fearful yeah. of them. So go on. Your, your personal fear well, around so we the onions. Had, it was not about the onions, but there was this one time where there was a tornado coming through, and wow. I remember calling my boss because I'm like in this trailer with hot oil and you know not a whole lot else. a lot of onions and he told me to get into the refrigerator um i did not I, yeah, it was the safest place i did not follow that advice instead i went with the whole crowd of people that was going into a building nearby and we were all fine um oh but but it was pretty terrifying well, where was that in connecticut in connecticut i can't remember which fair grounds but yeah, yeah. it was in connecticut wow um, back in the 90s yeah great Great I've got images concern. of Twister. But <laughs> that's, that's, I probably had seen that like a few years before. So yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, but no, I mean, I think more seriously. That's very serious. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I should be saying very seriously. Um, no, but I, really, truly, I think that like the, the sure death is a terrifying thing. Um, you know, when you think about it, there's probably that looming thing for most of us. But for me, I think within that, talking about climate change is like yeah it's serious and yeah. this is this is something that does occasionally keep me up at night i mean i you know i think like many of us it's hard to you know it can be really depressing and yeah. and i think it's it's just like worrying about death it's this kind of looming thing that feels inevitable in a lot of ways but uh at the same time all the more reason why doing this work is so important yeah. and so there is um, still that chance there mm -hmm. is there is almost a niggle that there's not the inevitability mm -hmm. as there is with death, that we could actually mm -hmm. do something about this. Do something about it, Pro you know, yeah, we're not gonna get back to the olden days, but you know, we can adapt and we have to. And you know, so, but you know, when I think about future generations and yeah. like, what legacy do I wanna leave behind? That's really scary stuff. And I think yeah. that's just a pervasive thing in, in life now. So yeah. 
Yeah. I no, know. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think I think I certainly would echo that. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question, mm. and then you're off the hook. Tell me, can you tell me a little bit about your plans, your personal plans for the next five and ten years, and also that of reset? Come on. You mean living day to day is not an option anymore? No. No. <laughs> no. Living so in we... the moment is overrated <laughs> at Cartol. <laughs> no, well, it's funny because I think we have a... Um, so I'll, I'm going to start with Reset because I think that, you know, I, I do think about work a lot, admittedly. Um, but we, having just gone through this whole sort of refreshed vision setting and planning uh, year, um, it's been really interesting thinking a little bit about how do we actually iterate towards a future that we want to live in. And so we we actually, we've been pretty intentional about not saying, well, here's exactly what five years from now will look like, yeah. but instead here's the vision for the future. And really, you know, it's that vibrant city. It's, it's a, a world in which every business thinks this way. But um, in the short term, yeah, there's some really important things that we're, we're thinking about here. So um, the programs that we're running, we're really just trying to keep making them stronger and, and you know, making sure that we are adapting with the changing business landscape, whether it's, you know, we have a, a whole food incubator program now that is very new for us and it's really exciting. We're actually partnering with six other organizations that are part of a, a culinary collaborative that we've established. And it's been a great way to say, hey, look, we're all doing different work Uh, to support food businesses, how can we work together to help them go through this kind of pipeline of of steps from you know a shared use community kitchen to an incubator kitchen space to finding the workforce that you need and so that's a program that you know it's just about to start its second cycle but it's one that we're really trying to grow and expand on it's it's just a, a you know there's a need in Hartford there's still food deserts right here in Hartford so that's part of it but there's also a lot of entrepreneurs that are like ready to go and have great skills in the kitchen but need a little bit more help getting through the business side of that. So really trying to strengthen that program and expand on it. I mentioned earlier too, though, that, you know, our community being one of our big stakeholders, we're really trying to find more ways to get feedback, to identify problems that we can then dig into. So the food program being a great example of that sort of happened very naturally through these partnership conversations at first, but it's the kind of thing that, you know, it's a, it's a fairly replicable model. We have this great incubator curriculum that we can, we can drop into other contexts, whether it's, you know, retail, fashion, textiles, etc., or climate change, you know, I mean, so, so really trying to make space for some of that, like understanding the needs that are most prominent right now yeah. and, uh, and adapting to them. Another thing though, you know, I think I've hopefully have made the point that partnership is kind of a through line and that's something that I think will definitely continue. We're, we're constantly, you know, beyond our volunteer network, we've got corporate partners, we've got other nonprofit partners in the region, um, you know, really trying to make sure that we're working together as a community. And for Reset's part, I think one of the things that we're hoping to do more of is how do we expand that message? You know, how do we tell the world more about what's happening here and help other cities that might be struggling with the same things to implement some of the the things that we've learned here? Um, And I talk with folks in other cities as well. So, you know, one of my close friends ran a company called Assets Lancaster in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I'm still, I still talk to them, to their leadership periodically to just sort of compare notes. We do a lot of the same kinds of things. It's a very similar kind of city. So just trying to sort of also bridge 
bridge those kinds of barriers and amplify the well, message. Kind of pulls of that what ideas as well, doesn't it? You know, it kind of working together as it yeah. potentially could be a breeding ground for some great ideas between the two cities. Exactly. Yeah. No need to recreate the wheel, right? No, like, absolutely. They, they've done some things that we haven't yet had a chance to try, and vice versa. So it's been a great way to sort Share of it. yeah. What about personally? Yeah. Five to ten years personally. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, you know, and I, I think, honestly, I'm still so new in this role that I'm just really excited to keep working at what we're working at. You've been here, here f- just over f- a year. Um, yeah. yeah, about a year and a couple months. So, you know, I, I certainly see this on the horizon for, for yes, a while. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of continuing to deepen my roots in Connecticut. It's been... Uh, it's been great to be back, but I think there's still a lot more that I want to remember about the state and just kind of rebuild some of my own personal Memory. networks. That sounds like they've crumbled, but they, <laughs> you know, more so just, um, you know, yeah. Rekindle those memories. Rekindle the memories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and I think, you know, there there's more that I want to learn and, and, you know, make time for. Yeah. Um, being outside, doing more yoga, you know. We're just desperate for uh, summer, yeah. aren't we? We're, we're, we're recording really this in a, in a February. Growing a garden. I have a whole, like, I have a growing plant collection inside my house, yes. but I really want to start getting outside, outside again. Yeah. I'm ready for that. Yeah. So, I know, again, that's... Well, according to the, uh, <laughs> the great American groundhog that I have trouble pronouncing, you can do it for me. The groundhog. The oh, the Punxsutawney Phil. Phil. Say it, say it again. Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah, it's a very strange mm-hmm. thing. So according to the highly... <laughs> highly accurate and scientific way of the Americans deciding if spring will be early or late, the groundhog says that we're in luck. Yes, so get those plants ready. I know. Oh, brother. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It Thank really you has. so much for finding some time to have a little chat to us here. Of course. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything that you're working on and hopefully we'll catch up again in a few months' time. Indeed. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.